Well, good morning. Thank you so much for taking time to worship with us today. We hope that you're getting a lot out of this service. We're going to roll into today's message. We've been going through the letter of 1 John. And we called this the Light of the World series. We're in the Christmas season, and Jesus came as the light of the world throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. This metaphor of darkness and light have been represented throughout history. And Jesus is that light that brings us hope in the midst of darkness. And that's what we want to see today. And and John's been talking about that. John was one of Jesus' closest friends. We've talked about that before. If you're new with us, and if you know anything about Jesus, he had his 12 disciples. And often when Jesus would retreat or go and pray or go somewhere, he would usually bring Peter, James, and John with him. They were the three that were kind of his closest friends, his tightest companions. Didn't mean he didn't value the others, but let's face it, we all have a certain amount of people that are closer to us than others. And Peter, James, and John were one of them. And John, the beloved of Jesus, he talked about the love of Jesus more than any other writer, I think. I I, I don't know that for sure. I haven't like counted it. But man, John's writings, even the Gospel of John and his letters are they focus on the love of God. And, and, and we've been talking about what it means to live as children of the light, not children of darkness. And darkness is that the sin that gets in our lives, the way we get selfish and put ourselves in front of others. And he wants us to live as children of the light, to live as Jesus did, to reflect Jesus. So we're going to go a little deeper into what it means to live as children of light. And I want to start out with just telling you a little scenario, a little story. Um, I want you to picture with me uh, a gentleman in his mid-50s. He's standing in his, in his home. It's a, it's a very vast home. He's surrounded by his achievements. He's got frame certificates. He's got awards. He's got pictures with presidents. Everything around him screams of his success. There's nice sports cars in his garage. He lives on a lake. Um, has his own private jet. Man, he has achieved everything that he set out to do. All of these trappings surround him. And yet as he looks out the window, he has a very somber and dark expression upon his face. All of the stuff that's around him, all this opulence, the wealth, all of those things feel cold and sterile. They lack warmth and vibrancy. They lack the joy that one might expect from all those accomplishments. He looks in the mirror and he sees somebody that's empty and hurting and wonders why all this success, everything that he's ever wanted to achieve, doesn't fill that void that's in his life. Everybody reveres him. He walks down the street and people know his name, but yet he feels lonely and empty, carrying the weight of a heavy heart and unmet expectations. This story, although fictitious, is the story of many people that have achieved all of their goals, that have hit the pinnacle of their success. We've seen it from actors to business people to just your average everyday person in your community that achieves a lot that gets to know different things and they've put their identity in their achievements, in their success. 
Man, how many movies and stories have been written about the high school football star that, man, has done everything and then they get out and they get into college and maybe they're the college star as well. And then they graduate and they do well at business and, and everything, but they're lonely and they're hurting. Maybe they don't, maybe people don't recognize them quite the way they were and they, their identity and everything was wrapped up in those achievements. Or maybe you've met that person that was successful in high school or college, but then came out and wasn't so successful. And they keep going back to those moments when things were all about them. It can be a very lonely and dark place. So those are places that people find themselves in depression. They turn to alcohol and drugs and things to, to help meet those unmet expectations. I want to tell you that in John today, we're going to talk about an identity crisis that many of us deal with, that if we don't put our identity in the right place, if we don't look at ourselves through the right lens, we too can feel that way. Maybe, you, maybe you're listening and maybe you feel that way right now. Well, let's look at John, 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. I entitled today's message simply Identity. But I want you to listen to this. And remember, John's been talking about how we should love one another, how we should care for one another, how we should help one another and to treat each other with respect. Now he's rolling into this and, and verse 15 says, Don't love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So our first point today is misplaced identity. I know at first glance, this passage looks like many other passages in Scripture. What many people think is that, oh, this is God just telling us not to live this way, not to do these things, not, you know, don't go out and, and, and sleep around, don't go and treat people poorly with money, and all of those. This isn't a do this or and don't do that type list. This is really a heart issue that's going to the heart of who we are. Yeah, as Christians, we should avoid sexual immorality. We should avoid drunkenness, murder, anything that puts a barrier between us and God. Remember, sin is, a, is our selfishness, us telling God we're going to do it our way, however we want to. And then also the other side of selfishness is putting our needs, our wants, our demands before other people. Yeah, we shouldn't do those things. Most of us know that. That's what, not what I think this verse is focused on. I think it's focused on a much bigger issue. It speaks to our hearts. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. This is where I want you to get. Don't love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the cravings of, for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Remember, at the very core, sin is all about us. And so when we look at this list that, that John is giving us, it, it, he's talking about how we engage in each of these things, how they affect us. And here's what the world offers. Physical pleasure. 
man, eating is a, is a tremendous pleasure, but when we overeat, when we get focused on food in such a way that it becomes an obsession, uh, sex, man, we live in an over-sexualized culture, and it, the church hasn't handled sex the right way, but we get focused on sex or high from exercise. Yeah, you can get a high from exercise. Some people are obsessed with exercise to a point that it becomes an idol in their lives. Alcohol and drugs, I think we understand those things. All of these things give us a good feeling as we're going through them. But it eventually wears off and we seek it out again and again and again because it's a feeling that is fleeting. It's not sustainable. The second thing, craving what we see, we have to have the newest and best of everything. Next time the new iPhone comes out, man, we're trading the phone, getting the new one. We still had, you know, 12 payments on our next one, but we're, we're new car every two years. We're, we've got to have that best of everything, those possessions, wanting what we see, coveting what our neighbor has. Oh man, I saw John bought a new boat. I'm going to have to get a new boat. And it's just that constant craving. The problem is we never have enough and we're always trying to get more. We're always trying to get that next best thing. And the last thing that he talks about is pride in our achievements. Basing our life on what we've achieved, our title, awards, accomplishments, all that we've accumulated. We base our worth on those things. We base everything on what's in our bank account, how many possessions we own. The danger is, is that we need to achieve more and more and more to feel satisfied. And I go back to our scenario of the man that, that achieved everything he ever wanted and yet felt empty inside, felt lost. And for those that get their identity wrapped up in any one of these things, these things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad. Eating is not a bad thing. It's necessary. Sex is not a bad thing. God gave it to us, one, to have children, but also for enjoyment and pleasure. Exercise is important. All of those things, the achievements, even having nice things, are not bad. But when they become our identity, when they become who we are, that if those, any one of those things were wiped out, we would have a crisis because they were a part of who we were, part of how we identified ourselves. Then we have issues. Then we have trouble. It's a dark place. We've got misplaced trust. It's living for the world. It's, it's that darkness that we've been talking about. We're living in that darkness because we're clouded to who we are. Each of those things can become idols. Solomon Wisest man that ever lived. If you, if you know the story of Solomon, he was the son of King David. And Solomon, when God came to him, said, Solomon, you know, Solomon was young. Ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. And, and, and Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for possessions. He asked for wisdom. He wanted to be wise. He wanted to know how to do the things that he needed to do. The wisest man that ever lived wrote these words in Ecclesiastes. 2, 9 through 11, it says, So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, 
it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, that sounds like a very depressing passage, but here's the wisdom in that passage. He's saying, look, I've done all this stuff. And in light of God, in light of eternity, in light of how quick this life is, all of these things aren't really that important. They're parts of my life. I've, I've had a great time, but these aren't all that important. Solomon, the wisest man ever lived, looked around and could see that all of his accomplishments just left him empty. I want you to think of something. The great theologians, the Rolling Stones. I know you're laughing at that great theologians, but you remember the song they have, probably one of their most famous songs, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It says it over and over again, I can't get no satisfaction. It says, because I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I can't get no satisfaction. It's kind of that same thing. We're chasing after something to fill that hole in our lives, that void in our lives that's left to us by relationship with God, by relationship with others, true and genuine relationship where we love and care for one another. I think that comes only by living in the light. Do we truly understand what that is? That our hearts are full when we understand who we are in Jesus. That identity. I want to read to you out of Luke 8, 14. This gives you one last illustration of it. It says, the seeds that fell among the thorns, if you know the parable of the sower, it's a section of it. It says, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message. The message is the word of God the gospel about Jesus, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. Perspective, focus, identity. When it's wrapped up into the things of this life, all good and important things, we need to work hard and do well in our jobs. God blesses us so we can achieve. If you think back to Abraham, Man, Abraham was blessed by God. He was wealthy. Not a sin to be wealthy. Some people preach that it is, but it's not a sin to be wealthy. But it can be a sin if we covet that wealth, if that's our identity is what we identify ourselves as in that wealth. It can cause us to stumble. Those things that our identity comes in. Our identity, and the second point today, is our identity needs to be in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus. If these things are not our identity, then who should it be? What should we focus on? How should we live? Remember, John is challenging us to live as children of the light. So what does that mean? Who are we? Isn't that an ancient question? Who are we? Who does God say I am? And we're not going to answer all of that today. We don't have time to unpack all that God says we are. I'm going to give you some very simple things that show who, are, who we are in Jesus. Because remember, if our identity is in our wealth, if our identity is in our achievements, if our identity is all those things, we become empty. Before we jump into who we are in Him, a couple weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast. I like to listen to podcasts. Sometimes they're just for entertainment. Sometimes they're educational. This one happened to be a leadership podcast by Craig Rochelle, Pastor's Life Church out in Oklahoma. Some of you may have heard of him. He's written several books. And he was interviewing a man by the name of Erwin McManus. Now, going back to the years that Jennifer and I were in youth ministry, Erwin McManus was one of the biggest voices 
that we heard, we've read his books, man, just an, a, an incredible mind. The guy, some think he's a genius. But Erwin McManus would speak at a lot of the conferences and things. And, and Craig and Erwin both pastor churches, and they're having this conversation. Authors, leaders, leading good things. But Craig was interviewing Erwin about his new book, which was coming out called Mind Shift. In the interview, Erwin said something that stood out to me. He had come to the point where achieving became his identity instead of being in Jesus. He spoke on the fact that he had to make a mind shift, that all of his achievements became his source of hope, became his source of identity. He had to make that mind shift, and he talked about how our identity needed to be in Jesus and what we needed to focus on there. So let's look at that again. If we're going to live as children of light, who are we? The first thing is this. We are God's possession. God's possession. This comes out of 1 Peter 2, 9-12. through 12. We went through 1 Peter not long ago. It says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. There's that metaphor again. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Think about that. Again, that metaphor of darkness and light. Peter is telling us that we are God's. We're his possession. We are his. When we put our trust in him, we are his. Now he created us, He longs to be in relationship with us, but we have to put our trust in Him. We are God's chosen people, God's possession. That's amazing. Our identity is in the Creator. We are His. Second thing, we are His children. So we're His possession, but now we're going to take it a step further. We are His children. Look at Romans 8, 15, and 16. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Not only are we his possession, which the world can translate in a weird way because possession almost feels like a slave in a way. And that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about us being his children. He calls us his children. This is much more intimate and deep. The kind of love that God has for us is for His children. And I've, I've often said that I never really understood true love. Even in my marriage, until I had children. Because there's an instant love for my children. I would do everything and anything I can to, for my children. That kind of love. Remember last week we learned that that True love and following Jesus, reflecting Him, is being willing to lay down our lives for somebody. That's something that Jesus told us. That's something that Jesus demonstrated. So this being called 
his children is that next level love. And then the final thing, it takes it even one step further, is we are co-heirs with Jesus. Co-heirs. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a co-heir? It means that all that Jesus is going to inherit, we will inherit as well. Look at Romans 8, 17. So just the next verse, it says, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering, which is the part we like to leave off. We are heirs with Christ. All that he has, we inherit too. That's why heaven is so magnificent. We can't understand it. We don't know what that means. But all that God has is ours. We are his children. We are his possession. But we also inherit what he has. So when we step into heaven, when we step into that place, we inherit what God has for us. It's a concept that, that is really hard for us to understand. But basically, this life is not the end. It's, that's what it means. Our hope is in the future. This life is temporary. That's why when we focus our identity in all the things of this life, we're actually living in darkness because we don't realize that this stuff is all going to pass away. Nothing lasts forever that's in this life. All of our accomplishments, all of our achievements, the only thing that lasts is what we do for Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, store up treasures in heaven where they don't rust and moths can't deteriorate. They, do, they last forever. And what that is, is that what we do for God, how we disciple people, how we draw them to Christ, how we help fill heaven with those that God loves, that He just longs to be in relationship with. If we're a part of that process, that's what lasts forever. Those are the achievements that matter. Our identity is in Jesus, not in all of the stuff and things that we do. Even as a pastor, even the good things that have been done and how lives have been touched and everything, my identity can't be wrapped up in all of that. My identity still needs to be wrapped up in Jesus because He is the source of all of that. Do you understand where I'm going here? It's all about our identity. It's all about putting things in the right perspective. God from the beginning, from the time that Adam and Eve fell and there was brokenness, he's had this plan for Jesus to come and die for you and me, for all mankind, so that we could be in relationship with him. Before the fall, when Adam and Eve were first created by God, they walked with God in the garden. They talked with him every day. And since that fall, Man has been trying to get back to that place with God. We've been filling that void that we feel, that, that lack of relationship with God. We try to fill it with all of this stuff that we talked about. Some of it's really good stuff, but it's empty because it doesn't last. And Jesus is saying, just put your trust in me. I will fill that void. I will give you peace in the midst of trial and trouble. I will help you through this life because what's after this is so much greater. You're going to inherit everything I have. All that is mine is yours. What a promise. So we need to reflect Him in our identity. We need to show people Jesus by the way we live and who we are, that our worth and value is found in Him, not in all of this stuff. 
I think some of the wealthiest, most satisfied people I've ever met in my life have been some of the poor that have found their identity in Jesus and would give you everything they have, even though they don't have anything. And they would give it with a smile on their face. I've seen it on mission fields. I've, I've seen it when talking to some of the people that are in really, really hard places, yet they found their peace in Jesus. What a beautiful thing. You can see it in their face. We find peace and comfort in Him. Our identity is found in Him. Once we grasp that, the troubles of this life don't seem so big. We realize we have a group and a family of people to walk through it with us. And then what God has for us next is far greater than what we have now. I love that phrase, the best is yet to come. It's true. The best is yet to come for those of us that find our identity in Jesus. So as we wrap up today, we're all human. God knows we struggle. God knows that we need help. So He sent us the Holy Spirit, our comforter. He teaches us the Word. He instructs us. As we grow in our relationship with God, we learn to hear the voice of God through the Holy Spirit. Guides and direct. Doesn't mean we'll never make a misstep. Doesn't mean we won't have trouble. Just means that God is with us through those difficulties. So as we wrap up today, I want you to ask yourself, where do you find your identity? Is it wrapped up in your career? Here's one that I think people really, really struggle with in our culture today. It's wrapped up in their families. And what I mean by that, I know parents that their identity is wrapped up in their kids. They got things out of order. They put their kids before God, before everything else. And it sounds good, man. Man, take care of the kids. They're going to be great. But here's the problem. When our identity is wrapped up in our children, we get things out of balance. And oftentimes, we end up hurting them because we... We feel like we're getting them everything, but we never teach them anything. Our identity needs to be found in God. And when we find it there, it'll trickle down into our children and our spouse, every relationship that we have. So where is your identity wrapped up? Is it in your achievements? Is it in your finances? Is it in your job, your career? Or is it in Jesus? I'm going to tell you, when you put your identity in Jesus, all those other things are magnified anyway. It's amazing how that works. Make every effort to find out who you are in Him. Study the Scripture. Learn who Jesus says you are. Learn as Scripture as a whole in the context of God's redemption of mankind throughout history. and who He says we are in Him. And then take the time to reflect that light, what God's doing in you, with people around you. I know these are difficult things, and, and some of you might be saying, man, I've known this for a long time, but really look into where your identity is. If everything was to go away, would you struggle? Would you be able to trust in Jesus? It's a hard thing. It's something we all have to wrestle with. So I want to pray with you today as you wrestle with this. I want to pray that God will help you to find your identity and your peace in Him. So let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for your presence, your power, your might. So grateful that you call us yours, that we are 
your possession, your children. Lord, that we are your heirs. Lord, help us to recognize that. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Teach us from your word. Help us to find our identity in you. To not get distracted and off track with achievements and wealth and all of the stuff around us. To covet what other people have and, and to sit there and go, well, why not me? Why not me? But Lord, to lean into you and to trust you with our lives. Lord, I pray that you would do that for each one of us today. That your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and peace that goes beyond understanding. And I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for what you did on the cross. I love you, Jesus. And I thank you for each one that's on here today. Help us to grow closer to you and then to reflect you to those around us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We value your time. We love you and we'll see you next week.